film fans. We're here on Juneteenth, and we will talk about that too. But we're going to talk about Pride Month and the Q Fest, and our special guest is Joshua Ray from Cinema St. Louis. Yay! Hi there. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, I'm really excited to be talking to you guys, especially about Q Fest and Pride Month and everything else going on. We'll talk to our guest, Joshua Ray, in a second, and then we'll talk about the 7500 preview baby teeth, the new documentaries, My Darling Vivian and Runner. We'll talk about the Webster film series with Aviva and Queen of Lapa. And then Dads on Apple Plus, the future of award shows, Muni Magic. We'll talk about Q-Fest with Cinema St. Louis. And then Lynn will talk again about the Five Bloods. We'll talk about Bill Gunn and Watchmen on Juneteenth. Yes. Tell us about your involvement. First of all, you write for The Lens, which is uh-huh. a part of Cinema St. Louis. So tell us about that. Yeah, so The Lens is a side of Cinema St. Louis's website. It's the film criticism blog. We cover new releases, but we also go into repertory screenings, and we're also doing, right now we're doing a lot of streaming recommendations. Um, so we're digging back into archives and kind of just talking about the things that we're watching at home right now. I've been going through um, Larry Cohen's filmography, and I think I'll have a piece ready uh, about that soon. But with uh, the lens, um, we kind of have free form and kind of take an academic approach uh, to film writing. I've got uh, Andrew Wyatt, who is our uh, editor over there. And then we've got Kate Lohr and Kayla McCullough who are writing over there. And we're always looking for new writers over there. So oh, really? listening who might be interested take a look and read it what we do and see if maybe your writing falls in line with what we're up to over there and uh, inquire within. And Lynn and I both wrote something for uh, the end of the decade. I wrote on Parasite. Yeah, absolutely. So we did this. Tell us about that. We did this really cool thing at the lens uh, where we polled St. Louis film professionals, anyone from film critics to academics to people in the industry about what their favorite films of the 2010s were. And you guys were gracious enough to write about some of the high, um, high uh, spotting films. Uh, Carl, you did Parasite. I did. And wrote wonderfully about a, a moment in Parasite yes. in, in which things take a hairpin turn and you're like, this, this will never be the same and I might be watching an instant classic. And then uh, Lynn, you wrote beautifully about boyhood and your special connection to it too. So I, I would point anyone who is interested in uh, understanding what the St. Louis film scene is like over to that piece because it's such a great survey of the different voices that we have. Also, you know, you might have missed some movies and uh, during the 2010s, and now's a good time to catch up with them too. It is Great. to look back, especially since all these people have time. People are always asking me, "I've seen everything on Netflix. What should I watch?" And I'm like, "Oh, you have so much else you can look." Yeah, at. it's too bad there's not really that much on Netflix anymore, <laughs> other than Netflix originals. So yeah, you got a lot to catch up on. Well, my rationale is if they put all the blockbusters out of business, then they should have every movie. There you go. There that's, you go. That's not how business works. 
<laughs> well, they did do that. Do you remember what it was like going into the video store and just picking something up because of the cover or something on the back? I worked in a blockbuster, so I have, while like the big conglomerate corporation of blockbuster, I have no great feelings for it. Oh man, I miss that movie movie store experience. But you, but you know, well. There were blockbuster exclusives for a while. Like they had, they would yeah. have a movie for a couple of weeks before everybody else would get one. And so that is kind of what happens with Netflix and HBO Max and Hulu and all these. There are movies, they'll all make the circuit, but it's just for this window, they are going to be on HBO Max or they're going to be on Netflix or they're going to be on Disney Plus or whatever. There is Do you remember one whose films they had? um exclusive rights to at blockbuster uh was it universal or paramount the weinstein company oh them <laughs> yeah those guys and i can't tell you how many how many stacks of weinstein movies um that just ended up getting shredded because <laughs> no one wanted to watch them no there's one blockbuster this, left there's yes, one blockbuster in, in, uh, in oregon oregon and yeah. it's a tourist destination Yes, well, there is a great John Oliver segment on the two blockbusters in Alaska because he donated many of Russell Crowe's uh, movie The Russell Crowe codpiece from Cinderella Man. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, other things. It's, so, it's such a wonderful story. If you look it up on the internet. And so he and Russell Crowe got in a one-upman's game and uh, Russell Crowe had the last laugh. Yes, he donated the... Uh, John Oliver chlamydia wing for koalas in Australia. At, at the, the, the crocodile hunters kids run. Yeah. <laughs> yes, all right, let's talk about yes. film yes. now. Okay, so our new releases. <laughs> and by the way, just a, an aside, uh, many family videos have reopened in, well, they, they don't have that many in St. Louis, but apparently they are open again in Illinois and Missouri. Just FYI. All right, let's okay, talk so, about the one movie we saw. <laughs> uh, 7500 is the code name for a hijacked plane. I did not know that, and they don't mention that in the film at all. I had to find out when I read the, the exactly. notes. The notes. This so movie's been in uh, development for a while. It was supposed to be Paul Dano in this role, and that didn't happen. And so now it is uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, as our co-pilot. Who hasn't been around except he just got nominated for a daytime Emmy for hosting the Sesame Street 50th anniversary. Which I still have on uh, my HBO queue. So uh, last thing I think he did was Snowden, which wasn't very good, the Oliver Stone movie. Yeah. But he's good in this. He is a co-pilot. And it's just a routine flight Airbus between Berlin and Paris. And as movies go, things go awry because terrorists get on the plane. And uh, how they got through security is they made knives out of glass. And you, and you see that that is the first scene of the film is how they do this. They go to the duty-free store and they buy two bottles of liquor and they fashion. And then you see, you see how the terrorists go from point A getting into the, getting into the airport and then point B, you see them on the plane. But it's silent. It's like closed camera 
video footage. So you don't really hear anything. So it's, it's spooky. The movie has a lot of spookiness and a lot of claustrophobia stuff. Oh, almost the whole film is in the cockpit. Yes. Oh, oh my, which is good. Is a first time director and writer. His name is Patrick Volmar. Vol Volrath. Volrath. Right. German. Uh, he, he's been, he's done, um, he was nominated for best live action short in, in a couple years ago for um, one of his films, uh, what was it? Uh, it was the 88th Academy Award, so that would have been 2016. Everything Will Be Okay was the name of the film. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Well, it, it, was, in Ger it was in German. <laughs> well, I usually do watch the shorts because we get the access to them. It's just, you watch so many of them and so many times you can't, some of them, are more memorable than others but it's a good movie nobody else is famous technically in it the pilot is uh um well we shouldn't say there's things that we can't divulge because it would be spoiler alert so but we can tell you is joseph gordon levitt's character is mild-mannered and then he's put to the test making life or death decisions and in meanwhile the control People are telling him not to open the cockpit door, but the terrorists have hostages and they're slitting throats with the glass knives. And you have to say that he is not 100%. When, when the initial happen, the initial attack becomes uh, known to him and the pilot, he gets hit in the arm. So he is not at 100% and he's not able to function. Did you find yourself yelling at him during the movie? Because I did. Because I, I, I don't know the choices I would have made while in this situation, but he, did not, he does not make the best choices while he's no. still trying to fly the plane. No, everybody's flawed. It's not like Hollywoody slick heroes and villains. It's very complicated. The uh, one flight attendant, and I profusely apologized last night on KTRS. I said, stewardess. Oh, flight attendant. Well, actually, you don't, you don't really know what she does. She could, be, she could be the head flight attendant. She could be, she's just a member of the flight crew. Okay. Because well, you don't really know. They're very vague about a lot of things. They are very vague. And uh, she is his baby mama. They're not married, but they have a two-year-old at home. And, and they try to keep buying a house together. And they try to keep their uh, relationship at, uh, you know, separate at work. So a lot of people don't know that they're a couple. So that plays into it. And so basically it's the cockpit, mayhem, 92 minutes. Tight. It's very gets, tight. But there are, gets, there are still dead spots in it. Yeah. He gets uh, attached to one of the hostages who's pretty much a mess. No, 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 one of the terrorists. Yeah, I'm sorry, terrorists. What, why do you think, they don't really tell you why they're doing this. It's Allah Akbar, but uh -huh. they don't really tell you why. No, they don't. Or uh, if they're affiliated with a group. No, everything, everything's vague. So you can, it can be whatever you want it to be. They, so they it's, seem, on Am, it's on Amazon seem, Prime. It's right. an original. They seem to be Muslim, but they don't. That's not necessarily their modus operandi. So no, but the baby mama's be, yeah, the baby mama's dad is Turkish. 
so she right. can so talk. she's half Turkish, yes. And so Turkish. they feel bad about uh, threatening a, a Muslim woman. And they, well, first I, of all, they don't believe she's Muslim, right? But then, but uh, there are so many things weird about this movie. It's it's a nice little indie, but it's just very it's very claustrophobic. And I think movies that are in tight spaces have, are much more uh, thrilling and horror horrified than a lot of these slasher movies. I think the tight space gives a more sense of dread than a guy with uh, a guy with a machete. Right. Well, Hitchcock filmed Lifeboat on a lifeboat and he put himself on the newspaper. And uh, so, yeah, I do think that is true. It's bloody too. It's very bloody. Yeah. This is not a movie to be watching with like the whole family, <laughs> you know, because it's and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is very good in this movie, but he's the only he's the only actor of note in this because everybody else is one note, and they're just uh, they're caricatures and they're not necessarily uh, fully formed characters. And then again, some of them don't stay alive enough to become a fully formed, a fully fledged character. Right, and also uh, it's very procedural. You know, they're checking off their little list of everything, and it's all—it's all this setup of uh, it's a normal day. This is what they're doing. But it's and supposed so to it's take place in real time. It's supposed to take place in real time, but it's not like a a twenty-four gimmick. They don't say that this is actually happening in real time. It's just slow and deliberate. Yeah. So, what'd you give it, like grade-wise? I don't do that. That's you. Oh, that's me. <laughs> I have to do Hey, that's gave, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it a B, B minus, maybe, you know. I mean, it's good, but it's like, you know, if you, if you. Um, there are part, hard, hard parts to watch. Yeah, it is. It's a hard watching. Sometimes you're just like, oh, come on, come on. Let's, and, yeah, and there's for, a, well, yeah. it's gone. It's gone. It's only ninety-two minutes, and so like some things get resolved at an hour and five, and you say, "What the hell are they going to do for the next twenty-five minutes?" And then something weird happens, and then the, the movie ends also weirdly too because it does. It it's just, just vague. Ends. It's just oh, that ending, and then the music starts, and it's raining, and it not to feel good movie of the week. No. I wanted to ask you guys, you Go said ahead. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is good in it. Where has he been? Yeah. Um, uh, I think the last really good movie that he was in was probably The Walk. Which he was good in that. That movie got no attention whatsoever. Well, and he, I liked it. He did the thing, a very actorly thing, which he's uh -huh. been doing recently is where he's trying out the accent he's working with a big hollywood director that everything on paper especially with the walk and with what you mentioned snowden seemed like it should work but maybe it should work in the 90s right and, well, <laughs> you, people forget the movie between the walk and snowden was the night before that comedy he did with seth rogan and anthony right. mackie and right. he started in comedy he should be good at that but that movie's, first of all, that movie's five years old. He's just been doing voiceover ca cameos. He was in Star Wars The Last Jedi as a voice, and he was in Knives Out as a voice that uh, they're talking to him on the phone. 
So he really hasn't done anything. The next movie he's doing is a trial of Chicago seven, which is Aaron mm. Sorkin, which I'm looking forward to, but that's going to be an ensemble piece like with Eddie Redmayne and Sasha Baron Cohen. And so I don't know if he's going to be like a standout person in that or not, because, you know, for a while he was going to be a leading man and he never, I mean, 50, 50, I really enjoyed. Um, oh yeah. 50, 50 was perfect. A pinnacle for him. And then, yeah, and then it, he's, and in, he's in Lincoln in a very small part. And uh, then Luke and the Don sons. John. Yeah. He was Robert. Tom oh, Lincoln. Don John was Don John is a, terrible movie but and he directed that and wrote it he I sure think did. It was just just so he could make out with scarlett johansson and juliet <laughs> no. you know i'd like to say that's probably not the case but <laughs> if you write that and then you cast it that way it certainly might be well that's just like zach graff had the same thing for natalie portman he's like Ugh. you know what i'm gonna write garden state so i can kiss natalie portman Ugh. well the, it is the 10th anniversary of inception He's good in that too. And that his actually in Inception, his arc is the most fascinating of anybody else's arc because I didn't care about uh, the main story. I cared about what was happening with Joseph Gordon Levitt's arc. Yeah. I, I didn't care about the dead wife or anything like that. Like the spinning top of the end does not thrill me. I, I was not concerned about that. I, I had the most fun with. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, Ellen Page. Yeah, yeah, he's a really talented performer, and I think he's got some talent in direction. Certainly, I did not like Don John. Actually, it's one of the worst. The best <laughs> our, our well, after he played Robin, I thought, oh my God, it's gonna. He's just he gonna wasn't have, Robin. He's... Technically, he wasn't Robin. He was Robin. <laughs> they. Uh, Come on, they set that up that way. Right. Yeah. Everyone oh, in the audience for... was like, oh, Robin. Oh. Well, um, yeah. But after he played Robin, I thought he was going to just take off. And mm -hmm. no, because of Don John. And then also Snowden was big. So, yeah. Oh, well, I wish yes, him well. Um, I think had. he got married and has had kids. And, you know, sometimes people take off a little bit when they got little kids. Because on Sesame Street, he, um, he was talking about his kids watching Sesame Street. Okay. So, you know, I don't know. I always thought he and Zoe uh, Deschanel were so perfect in 500 Days of Summer. Uh, that, that is one of my all-time favorite films. I know. And, and, and Carl and I also put it on our list, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Cor J.C. Corcoran made fun of me. He said, oh, it's, it's pandering to uh, the graduate. And I said, I think they did that on purpose. And he made me find a reference where they said, yes, it was homage to the graduate before he would let me off on liking the film. So I still love the film. I still love it. And it's a, it's a perfect ending, even though that it's, it's a cliched ending, but it had to end that way. And I still, I still watch it every time. And when, my favorite part of that film is when he looks in uh, a window and he sees Han Solo smirking back at him. I think that is really well done. I do like the narrator's voice. That's and the it, guy that does, is that the same guy that did assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford? Cause he's I, I, the narrator's that classic narrator guy. Classic narrator guy? Well, you know, one of the ones it's that- It's Richard McGonagall. 
Okay. Is, and he, he I, I, I cannot answer that question for you. I'll look it up. Okay. All right. So then the other movie that we haven't seen yet, but we promise we'll talk about it next week is called Baby Teeth. And IndieWire just named it one of the 20 movies of the year that we should see. Yes. It's about a woman who is dying who wants to fall in love and have first love. And it's, uh, she has blue hair in the, in the uh, poster for the film. And I, I'm actually looking forward to it. I am too. If it was on the 20, I've only seen 10 of the 20. Did you see that list, Joshua? The list of the I 20 haven't movies yet. you should have seen? I haven't yet, but Baby Teeth had a lot of buzz coming out of Sundance. So it's been on my short list to, to catch up with. And I'm excited that it's going to get released. Some of the other things like Minari that were big coming out of Sundance. Haven't heard anything about that yet, but I'm excited for this one. I know it's, all it's the uh, Eliza Scanlon. She's an Australian actress, um, and I don't. She was she was the dying sister in Little Women, so she's the, she's mm. the least sister in Little Women. You have all these big names. She was the one that everybody said, yes. "Who the hell's that?" Well, no, because it was Saoirse Ronan and uh, Pugh and and uh, Emma, Emma Watson. Emma Watson, and then you go. Who's the other one? She's the other one, and now this is going to be her. She was also in Sharp Objects. Yeah, which, HBO. which, oh God, that was terrible. Oh, <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm just saying, I remember her from that because I tried really hard to watch it. Just but like, yes, uh, yeah, she she was dying Beth in Little Women. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. So we we will. It's from IFC and it's streaming everywhere. So we'll talk about that next week. There are two documentaries that are streaming now. You mentioned Sundance, Joshua, and, and Sundance did have a lot of things come out in their now video, but not everything. So if we didn't have the content coming up from Sundance, we would be up a creek <laughs> because that's going to be where some of the nominations are going to be coming from those movies. So uh, this is called My Darling Vivian. It's a documentary. It was slated for South by Southwest. It's about Johnny Cash's first wife. He's, uh, she is the mother of Roseanne Cash and three other girls. And all the girl, uh, the, some of the girls are, are uh, interviewed. I'm not finished with the movie, but so far it's really good. And it, uh, the, the woman had a, being a housewife in the fifties, being isolated because he's on the road. She has quite the story to tell. They met and in, in uh, Walk the Line. This was Jennifer Goodwin, and I thought Jennifer Goodwin. I mean, they don't spend a lot of time on her, but I thought Jennifer Goodwin did a really good job in Walk the Line, portraying Johnny's first wife. And they show that she she was wrong, even though that that Reese Witherspoon playing June Carter Cash was the love of his life, even though he didn't treat her very well either. But if there wasn't the first wife, there wouldn't be June Cash. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't be the progression that Johnny made in his life. So no. everyone had a purpose to play in Walk the Line. So uh, Johnny Cash met Vivian in San Antonio, Texas at a skating rink. And when he was in the Air Force, they corresponded for three years and then they got married. And then he hit it big 
So they moved to California, had this big home in the middle of nowhere. So there's coyotes and rattlesnakes and she's got four girls and he's on the road. And so things, you know, it's that classic, uh, you didn't think about housewives back, now we're looking at it, about the isolation and all that stuff. So her story is quite compelling and it's a good documentary. And she was a beautiful woman. And her daughters, it's heartbreaking to hear her daughters talk about her because it wasn't a very happy life. So yeah. I recommend that if you like docs, because I like docs. And, and then uh, we have one called Runner, which I haven't even had time to get to yet. So, so what's Runner about? Um, it's a very famous runner. I totally have forgotten. Let me look it up. This is, this is what happens when you get like five links in a week and you can't watch it. I, I, while, I while you look that up, uh, Lynn, if I can mention a couple things that are premiering today um, that we're recording this for Webster Film Series and their virtual screenings. Go ahead. Um, they've got Aviva, which is by Bose Yakin, which... This director has a really strange Hollywood history, um, but this is an independently made film that was an official South by Southwest uh, selection. And it's this fantasy romance and it's centered around dance and cross country love affair. And, and it's a really free form. I haven't seen it yet, but anything that's kind of, you know, recommended by Webster University film series, I would say is, uh, worth your time they've been playing great stuff this year some of the best stuff including uh vitalina varela hong sang su's new film and um uh liberté by uh, albert Serra. what i have seen um which fits in well with the qfest stuff we'll talk about is queen of lapa that's a film it's a documentary about a trans um sex worker in rio de janeiro who runs a brothel, but when I say that, it doesn't sound as kind of <laughs> life-affirming <laughs> or fun as it is because she is such a bombastic personality and really guides these women through their lives, through safety, through their work, and gives them a kind of value and love and sense of family. And uh, God bless, a movie that is just over 70 minutes. So I would definitely <laughs> recommend both of those. Well, that's at the Webster Films series and they're running between now and actually opens today until July 2nd. So you have two weeks to go see either of those films. Incredible. Is it Aviva that you're talking yes, about? Yes, Aviva and Queen of Lapa. Because the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, of which I am a member, they are all about this movie. I'm getting all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, uh, links to articles and they're raving about it on their home site. Yeah, I'm very excited to see it. It's going to be one of the first things I do this weekend is rent a movie through Webster Film Series. Oh, and when you do that, I should say that they do get half of the proceeds too. And so you're helping support the film series, even staying at home so that they continue to thrive and be one of the great things that we have here in St. Louis. Oh, right. that is that is good. Okay, so Runner is about a refugee. Sudan, yeah, a refugee. He was a, a slave in Sudan, South mm -hmm. Sudan. 
and he is he becomes an olympian yes and he is now in the united states air force and tomorrow because it's world refugee day they are going to take part of the proceeds and give it to uh one of the world refugee organizations so that sounds very good i'm really looking forward to watching it this weekend so it is available uh and i'm wondering if you know some of the documentaries are not as expensive as the video on demand oh that's good well also um this week on apple tv which is one of the streaming services i do not have bryce dallas howard did a thing that uh, she was on, was it CBS this morning talking about it? And I've been watching Bryce Dallas Howard with her involvement with Disney Plus and The Mandalorian, because every Friday, The Mandalorian drops a new uh, uh, documentary about the making of The Mandalorian. And since she directed an episode, she's been all over that. And so when I saw her on TV, I'm like, oh, she must be talking about The Mandalorian. No, she directed a dad's documentary just talking to all these dads and including her very famous father, Ron Howard, who's also a part of the Star Wars universe. And so that debuts this weekend. And it's not just, it's not just famous dads. Uh, it's also regular dads. And uh, there's this YouTube dad who became famous for just putting dad stuff on and trying to make it relatable to every father out there and because he was i don't know if he's a single dad or if he only just does dad stuff from himself on this and he has become viral and has millions of youtube followers just doing stuff that dads should do and stuff stuff that dads do and so he's part of the documentary as well and so if i had apple plus i actually would probably watch that instead of what we watch every year on Father's Day, which is Finding Nemo. Even though I have a daughter, we still watch <laughs> Finding Nemo every year because that's all about dad's love for children. Oh, it is, it's, it is, it's really good. It is. But, but I don't uh, have Apple Plus, so I can't watch it. I think we have access to it. I got a new iPhone in November and I'm supposed to have access to this. I keep getting emails from them about all these movies. So I don't yeah, know why. they want you I, to buy it. Well. I'm not doing that. You're supposed to get free Apple Plus for a year if you bought a, an iPhone. Okay. Let's say so. So, so I don't understand that because I keep getting all this information. But anyway, Dads includes Will Smith, Neil Patrick Harris, Jimmy Kimmel, and other people, like you said. And uh, speaking of Jimmy Kimmel, he is going to take a summer break from his talk show. And he's also been... Uh, He's been uh, tapped to host the Emmys when and if that ever happens. Uh-huh. Well, everybody's doing the Zoom and the thing. So for Q Would you want to have a Zoom Emmys? No. I don't think so. I don't think that would be very much fun to watch. No. No. We did uh, have the Arts for Life uh, Best Performance Awards on Sunday. We did a pre-recorded. And the and high school the, kids did the same thing with the Fox. They did that. Yeah. But that's, that's one thing to do something small like that. But right. the Emmys, because of this year, there's been so much content that is being released on television platforms. They've, they've, they've changed the way that they're going to vote this year. They're going to change the nominating si si um, uh, 
directives and they're going to change this. And so if you don't have, if you have a virtual Emmys, it's going to be so weird. And, and nothing against the awards that have done the virtual thing, but you can't have, of the big four, the EGOTs, virtual just doesn't seem to work. I, I, I don't know if it would, I don't know if people would watch it. And well, they have yeah. on TV. They've postponed the Tonys. The daytime Emmys are next Friday on the talk. Right. The, the ladies from the talk are going to be the hosts of that. So it's going to be broadcast, but it's going to be, it's going to be weird. That would actually be, the daytime Emmys will actually be a good uh, precursor for the world of stuff. Even though Hollywood has opened for movies and television, and that's just Hollywood. I'm, I haven't heard anything about Vancouver opening where more than half of TV and films are filmed now because it's cheaper to do it in Canada. And like all of the, anything on the CW is filmed in Vancouver. And so I don't know, I, Canada's been a lot more strict than we have been. And so I don't know if you're going to be able to have things opening up in Canada. And I don't know what's going to be happening. You were going to say something, Joshua? Oh, no, I was just going to say that. I'm down for us to experiment and watch a weird Emmys and watch <laughs> a weird Oscars. As long as we can get through this, get out of it. And we could even do like the Golden Globes did during the writer's strike. Just hand them out and say, here's what they were. You know, have a great day, everyone. We'll ship you your, your golden statue. But I'm down for any experiment. Some things have been working, you know, locally. You know, Lynn um, with the uh, SEL performance and um, the Sondheim tribute, even though I had that technical difficulties, that brought some people together. So not to mention, uh, I don't know if you guys watch it, but RuPaul's Drag Race did a Zoom finale and picked the winner that way. And it was probably one of the more fun ones because they had to get very inventive with it. Oh, I um, bet so, they did. I don't know. Get, well, the voice, all those it. live, all those live shows, the voice, American and Idol. everything. You know, they've had to do. Yeah. Uh, I when you said writer's strike, I remember in 1980 the Emmys just opened envelopes, and the only person to show up to get his award was mm. Powers Booth, who played Jim Jones in the the <laughs> miniseries yeah. of Guiana. Yeah, but Guiana. When win? the people, which, you know, a lot of people like my son, they don't realize drinking the Kool-Aid right. is from that. Yes. 900 people mass suicide murder yes. in Guyana, but it was well, the people's temple. Um, speaking of technical glitches, the Muni had a technical glitch on Monday night. So many people went to the virtual show of Beth Level that it shut it down and it had to be 15 minutes later on YouTube because so many people went to the Muni site to see a five-year-old show that people paid hundreds of dollars to see, but so many people wanted to see it and support the Muni that it crashed. Their website crashed. Lynn, did you ever I, I, get through? Uh, well, I saw it in person. Oh, oh. So I was, I was there. I was there five years ago. And I, in fact, I got to meet her afterwards. So that was fun. And uh, I've seen her I, on I Broadway twice. I didn't I've even seen get in until for 45 minutes. And then they, they, show, they put it on YouTube 
because they were they had to be scrambling. They apologized again on Thursday because they're showing them on Mondays and Thursdays. They apologized right. on Thursday and said, "Here's the YouTube link. You can go do this now." But yeah, they didn't. It I don't was, think but, they realized. But then, but then that's it. No, they didn't. They said Beth Level broke the internet. She did win our our St. Louis Theater Circle Award for Best Actress last year for Gypsy. I, I'm sure she loves that more than her Tony. Well, she has a Tony. She was the drowsy chaperone in the drowsy chaperone. And she has a, a, a drama desk award. And she she's very well fetted in on Broadway. Right. And uh, she was in the prom, which is locally produced yes. on Broadway, which I saw. And she was hilarious. She plays a diva. She plays very Ethel Mermany, belty songs she was at the muni as hello dolly in 2014 and as aunt eller in oklahoma the year following that so she does play those big iconic roles and uh like i said she was tony nominated last year for the prom and she's a fan favorite in st louis so i can see why they started out with that i've seen all the muni magic live at the sheldon the sheldon has the best acoustics so who is going to be this Monday and Thursday? Do you know that? Or have they announced it? Oh, I can't remember. But I, the only I'll one I haven't seen of them is the Buddy Holly voice. That's the only okay, one I, I never I did think go. That, I think that actually might be this week. I think so, too. So I will watch. Well, no, I got committee meetings. See, I. But, it, but it's, it's Thursday. Monday and, it's Monday and Thursday. So Right. Uh, Monday was supposed to be the opening of the Muni, which made me sad. Right. It day. is it is the Buddy Holly boys at eight fifteen, and it it started out with Denny Regan, and then it went to Mike Isaacson, and then it goes in there. So it's just like a Muni opening night because because Denny comes out, and then Mike comes out, and then the show starts. I know for uh, since uh, two thousand nine when I started reviewing the Muni when the News Democrat asked me to. To last year, I went every opening night, never missed one. And I always had the, the same routine. Go in, talk to Denny, talk to Kofi, talk to Dylan, sit see, down. You, you, you my can friend, see Mike if you're quick. Once in a while. Well, a lot of times I talk to him afterwards. And then uh, my friend Tammy, we all stood to sing the, the Star Spangled Banner. And my friend Tammy can really belt. And so she sings this glorious Star Spangled Banner. And then everybody around us would always go, ooh, that's really good. <laughs> and Tammy would sit down. <laughs> but that was our routine. And then to get ice cream at intermission. And then to see people afterwards that we knew. And walk to the car. And wait for traffic. Traffic in the Muni is the worst. It is, but sitting in Forest Park on a nice, especially since they got the new fans. The silent fans. Oh, God, because can you, you, you guys probably remember sitting there. And they turned them off during the performance because they were too loud. I remember. Oh, absolute uh, torture. The August show was the <laughs> worst one. Which one's going to be the worst show of the year? Oh, the final one in August. That's when they stopped. Then they stopped having them in August because they it was unbearable but now the fans are silent and they keep them on during the show and it's great and it's just it's a tradition it's just such a tradition if you guys want to feel um nostalgic 
that documentary, the Muni, 100 Years of the Muni, it's on HEC, you can see it available online. That is very good because it's all about the 100th anniversary. And if you saw the History Museum's uh, exhibit, really nice. Yes. Really, really, really nice. So, right, so uh, we'll have it again. Fest. Yeah, we'll have it again. Yeah, let's talk about QFest. What are you looking forward to in terms of the lineup? And tell us about how you can get the films register and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is the 13th edition of QFest and it's my second year co-programming it with artistic director of Cinema St. Louis, uh, Chris Clark, who we all know and love. Um, but so we've moved online um, and we initially had to delay it a couple months and then, you know, playing things out just like everything. And Thankfully, um, we've got a virtual festival and you buy tickets to individual things. We've got some free programs I can go over. There's also festival passes, which something like you're saving 60 bucks, $45 for members, whenever you buy a, a pass and you can have access to the entire festival. If you go to cinemastlouis.org, it's on the homepage, it actually starts today, June 19th. It's going to go through the 28th, and everything is available. So, uh, you know, no longer, it, like, in live, <laughs> would you have to schedule everything around and see, oh, I want to see this at this time and this at this time. You're free to see everything because it's all there for nine days. So it's really cool. And even though we had to, you know, scramble around and figure something else out, I am particularly happy that we've uh, got it during the Pride Month. Um, right. It's typically at the end of April, beginning of May, but it's so cool that we're able to do this. It's giving people a way to celebrate Pride from home. You know, it's really hard right now. So, Right, especially well, it, because you didn't get the parade or the whole month celebrations out in public. But the exactly. rainbow flag is flying right now outside of City Hall in downtown St. Louis. Hot damn, as it should. And uh, and the lights are all rainbow colored. It's it's really pretty to see. Really? Yeah, it's really awesome that, you know, we have a community. I mean, you know, there's definitely struggles and for queer people in St. Louis, but it's a tight-knit community and we really build the festival around the diverse voices that we have here in St. Louis and try to make sure that we have representation of, you know, LGBTQIA plus in that broad spectrum of queer life that we're representing. Everyone's included. Here. Yeah, absolutely. And this queer community is an inclusive community. So why not have an inclusive film festival for us too? Um, <clears throat> as far as things I'm super excited about, um, I can go over a few of them. There are some really cool free programs this year. Our, we have two documentary shorts. The first one is about um, queer pioneers. So there's one um, about some teachers, Orville, Orville and Bob, excuse me, um, who are, you know, later in life. And it's all about their love story and the struggles that they've had. and. Um, there's also a short in that program about service members who were queer. So um, that's a particularly great program. I also love 
our narrative shorts program. There's one called Love and Sex, which is a really fun thing that we've done is we found some really great shorts that kind of tell the tale of, you know, beginning and just kind of cruising into starting dating and sex and, and into building relationships, into breakups and even um, into the afterlife. There's a really cool short in there that's a, like a queer Twilight Zone episode. So um, all of our shorts programs are free. Uh, a a docu or not docu series a web series called these thems about trans and non-gender conforming people that has ties to st louis is also free on there too so we've got plenty um plenty available for anyone you know no matter how much you're willing to spend there's free stuff on there everything else there's a, a ticket um as far as it, i would say Hot tickets are going to be Sorted Lives. Um, this is our QFest classic. I don't know. Have you guys seen Sorted Lives before? I have not. No. Sorted Lives is was a play by Del Shores that was turned into a film in the year 2000, became this huge cult hit, and it played this um, theater in Palm Springs for something like 100 weeks without stopping. I think the thing that's really going to bring everyone to it is the poet laureate of quarantine times, Leslie Jordan, is in it oh, and is, yeah. is so. Is this the one with uh, Olivia Newton John in it? Olivia Newton John stars okay. Delta Bird, Bonnie Bedelia, Bo Bridges. Um, it's got a crazy cast in it, and it's so funny. And it's it has become a cult classic in its short time since it's being released, and then. Like most of our programs, we've got a short in front of it too, The Stand-In, which is a um, pretty cool little short about a coming out story that's really cool. Um, My daughter is looking forward into uh, about seeing Queering the Script because she is uh, a friend of the community and she also likes cosplay. And so she is very interested in seeing that. Queering the Script is so cool. It, it's a like it's hyper focused on one subject which is you know gay and lesbian involvement with television and writing and particularly like queer fandom for things but you really get to know these people as uh characters within this documentary the interview subjects and there are some really cool people in there lucy lawless is interviewed angelica ross from pose is in there Stephanie um, Beatrice it, it, from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine's in that, too. Yeah. Because she, yeah. Wasn't, she wasn't expecting for her player to be, or for her character to be uh, uh, bisexual. Okay. And that it just, well, no, she, she was dating, she has dated everybody on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And she didn't know that that's how her character would evolve. She was just, originally, they were like, wow, we have a very diverse cast. And then they kept making it more diverse by making some characters gay, some characters questioning. And she has now, I think her character currently has a girlfriend, but it's, that's not the point. The point is that she is now a member of this community and she is happy to be that way. Exactly. I mean, the whole film is about people who see themselves represented in the media and what value that gives you 
when you're able to see yourself, you know, alongside other people and your existence is kind of validated in the art that you love. Right. So um, yes, it also takes place during some cosplay conventions. I don't know a whole lot about that, the nerdery of it and the beautiful things going on in the cosplay and the costumes, but creating the scripts will certainly teach you about it. There's, there's another one with a, a kind of a similar vibe, I would say, in its making called Dirty Sexy Comics. And yes. it is about the history of gay porn comics. Um, warning. Don't watch is, this with your grandmother. It is graphic, yes. Uh, grandma might be shocked. I kind of was at some points, and that's hard <laughs> to do. Um, <laughs> but it's a really cool, it takes you through the history of gay comics and, you know, gay porn comics and where we are today and the fandom around it. And it's an all-encompassing story, and it's uh, really interesting. Another... <laughs> We've got a couple gay porn things happening this year. I guess it's just in the air. Um, My favorites. And I was so happy to get to interview the filmmaker for the festival. And we've got interviews with a lot of our filmmakers. We've got um, shorts in front of things. We've got introductions. All whenever you go onto the virtual festival, linked on cinemastlouis.org. Um, that are included. And I did an interview with Evan uh, uh, Pachel, who made this crazy gay porn mixtape called Ask Anybody that is uses over 125 uh, films and clips from those films, gay hardcore pornography from 1968 to 1986, and stretches them all together as a narrative about gay life during that time, about fantasy about gay life during that time, and it's all about how you internalize the media you consume, and it's so brilliant, and it's so funny, and another warning, it's so graphic. But, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's clips of gay porn. It is, it is literally clips of gay porn, but the way he's put this thing together is so ingenious, and really gets you thinking about how you consume media and what it does to your brain and what it does to culture at large. Um, so is, it a, is it a stereotypical gay porn story or does it go off in a direction that you wouldn't think it would go off? So there's no, I mean, let me say this. There are moments where there's pizza man, you know, or things like this. <laughs> But what, what's ingenious about it is, uh, did you guys see uh, Guy Madden's movie, The Green Fog, that played a Webster film series last year? I, I did not. I keep thinking it's kind of like a Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Sort but, of, sort but, of, yeah. But with gay porn instead of film noir. Yeah, yeah, sort of. Um, so what he's done is made a collage that has this overarching theme and it's many different people, but. It starts in this surreal fantasy and then comes up with two guys in bed waking up, but then it switches people, but because it's mashing a bunch of clips together, but then you have this narrative of this guy who goes on a sexual adventure throughout the day, but it's quote unquote, this guy, right? It's a stereotypical gay this porn guy, man. Right. With, right, exactly. And, and they so, all kind of um, look alike anyway. <laughs> 
Well, that's the thing too, and that he addresses that too, and race during the time. It's it just a fantastic movie. Uh, another one, and I think this is the one that is it's so important for everyone to see right now is called Peer Kids. It is straight from True False. Um, you know, I guess the last film festival we all got to go to, um, if you were able to. Uh, it's by Elegance Breton, and it is this portrait over eight years um, the director and the filmmaker spent with uh, mostly three queer kids in on Christopher Street uh, in New York City. And, you know, a few unhoused, and they go through journeys of transitioning and going through journeys of coming out. And there's so much about it, about Black life and Black queer life that I think is so empathetic in its filmmaking and so honest that it's such a, a and it's an object to, to teach, but it's also an object of empathy. And that he was, the filmmaker was able to spend uh, eight years documenting these people's lives what you can't imagine happens to them is, you know, unbelievable, but there's stories that are so vital and important for people to hear right now. I think if anything, you rent just one, please rent Peer Kids because um, it, it will help illuminate a lot of uh, Black Lives Matter, police brutality, and about uh, Black queer life in America right now. So you can go to cinemastlouis.org slash QFest and you can find out how to uh, get passes. I mean, you can get tickets for individual films or you can get passes and you can learn about the uh, free screenings and find out more about that. Once again, cinemastlouis.org slash QFest. And uh, all the festivals that are gonna be virtual this year are gonna be run through this uh, service called Aventive and they give you 48 hours to watch the movie if you pay for it. And then Cinema St. Louis members get a comp ticket i noticed that in the newsletter so if you are a cinema st louis member don't forget you get one comp ticket to see something over the the next eight day uh eight days uh this one's nine, nine days nine but days. then uh classic french film festivals coming up too um, there's three films in there. Olivia, which is a kind of a queer contingent movies being presented by the Lynn's own uh, Kate Lohr, the brilliant Kate Lohr. And then there's uh, Tom Stockman is doing Writer in the Rain. And then um, there's a, a Marguerite Duras movie that is getting shown. So there's beautiful things that we're able to do online, Cinema St. Louis, with this platform. So we're excited to be able to do it. You mentioned the St. Louis connection. Is that the one I was uh, listening to KTRS and they interviewed a local guy who grew up in St. Louis and he has a web series and he's won two Emmys for the web series. Is, is that what you were talking about before? Um, I forget his name. I forget his name, but he's- We do have a- it's, do Yes, have it's, called, it's, it's After Forever. Yeah, uh, After Kevin Forever. Spiritus. Okay. That's he was on um, so we actually, Lives. Yeah, we have two web series. Um, These Thems is the one that has uh, a local actress in it. And then uh, Kevin Sp uh, Spiritus is the St. Louis native. He was on, yeah, you said Days of Our Lives. He was on Days of Our Lives. 
Yeah, and that's the second season of it. And you can see the first season on Amazon Prime right now. So you can catch up with that before you rent it through um, QFest. It sounds very interesting because it's about a lover that dies and how you cope with grief. Yeah, I mean, as you can probably tell from the different things I've been talking about, we always strive for like non-stereotypical ideas of queer life and being all inclusive. So you're gonna see a lot of different things. There's a documentary about Truman Capote in there too. There's a lesbian vampire movie, so <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Oh, you were, uh, oh, I just. You're lost, that's okay, yeah. get unlost, you're fine. <laughs> I just was like, well, I was going to ask something, and then I totally forgot. That's um, moving on to uh, what we were going to talk about for DVD streaming, there's only, I don't know what happened to, well, because there's no product. That's why. Right. That's why last week was The Hunt, which was the last movie I saw in a theater, and everything else is already out. So that's right. So there's that two minutes of fame, but with Jay Farrow, the comic from SNL and Cat Williams, another who, comic. Jay Farrow did an imitation of Cat Williams when he was on Saturday Night Live. Right. And this is about mm -hmm. a comic who gets famous by doing imitations of this comic. And then he goes out to LA and it's about stand up comedy. And it's also got Kiki Palmer in it. I like her. And it, it, it technically it is a new release because it wasn't really released. So it is now directly to, I, everything is so weird now. It wasn't released in theaters, but it's being released to DVD, but it's also available for streaming because the world ended. And so movies aren't, movies aren't a thing anymore. You know, another one that's coming out on Tuesday that followed a similar track, although we did get to see it at St. Louis Film Festival here. One of the best movies of the decade so far, I'm gonna claim it. Tuesday, Portrait of a Lady on Fire comes out on Criterion Collection Blu-ray. That's, That's right, we did I, see that. Carl and I talked about it. We did, and that you could have played that at Q-Fest as well, but you don't know that at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, plot twist. Yes which we're not ruining it now because it's been out long enough. People go, oh, that's, that's the uh, old timey gay movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is what I wanted to ask you about. The documentary Invisible, is that available for free on a streaming platform? It has all the, it's, it has a lot of famous people talking about being gay in America. It has Rachel oh, Maddow and, um, Various. Oh, wasn't that on, uh, wasn't that a Showtime thing? Could have been. I keep seeing clips of it and I'm like, where can I find this? Because I would like to watch it. And uh, it's just an amazing transformation because I am old to see from when I was in college and uh, people, um, you could get arrested for being at a gay bar and people had to be very closeted then to now it's just been a remarkable transformation i remember my mother when 
Rock Hudson was announced that he was gay and dying of AIDS. My mother was, oh my God. But then by the time she got used to everything and what she evolved, my mother evolved from that initial shock and and to accepting like modern family characters and also Will and Grace characters. Yes, yeah, I think if you look at even this year, everything we have in QFest, you're going to see that narrative of queer life in America from, you know, at least the middle of the century with Truman Capote and Hen coming up and our servicemen documentary and our teacher documentary. And you'll see just this overarching narrative of the struggle of queer life, at least in this country. And we've got a few uh, foreign selections too, but you, there's a whole narrative present there, even with fiction films that we have programmed. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting journey to go on there just over one week. Which is good. Like in the movie Milk, uh, the beginning shows you all the arrests and all the, uh, all the history of all that, of the discrimination and oppression. So HBO is going to start with the Perry Mason reboot this week with Matthew Reese. Yes, if you were thinking it's going to be a uh, Perry Mason as a lawyer from the old, old show from the 50s all the way through the 90s. I, did they even do it in the 2000s? It doesn't matter. It is a brand new Perry Mason. The only thing it shares with the original Perry Mason is the name. So. It's not, Perry Mason's not a lawyer. Perry Mason is more of a uh, private detective, which yeah, doesn't make any shoes. sense to me. Mm. So that starts on HBO Sunday night. Uh, now that uh, I know this much is true is over. But really, Mark Ruffalo was brilliant. I'm always there for Mark Ruffalo. Show up in anything, I will watch it. Yes, and you know, he has totally been ignored for awards for his whole entire career. He's been nominated, but never. And I think finally he's going to get an Emmy for this. I hope. I would hope. But not this year. Because the Emmys this year, uh, the cutoff was May 31st. Ah. Too bad. Yes. And then the documentary by Patton Oswalt's uh, Late Wife. Yes. And now, is that a documentary or is that yeah. just, okay. It's a documentary about her book because she is now deceased yes. and it's I'll Be Gone in the Dark. It's about her relentless pursuit of the Golden State Killer. Yes. So and it, they finally it had, caught, based on her book, they caught him. Right. And her friends finished Allegedly. the book. Yeah. The okay. friends finished the book. Right. So it's that journey. I think it's it's multiple it's it's multiple parts too. I don't think it's just one. I think it's multiple. So that starts June twenty eighth, which is next weekend. Next week. And then in uh, Hollywood news, the Oscars have been moved to April. And they've changed their voting to uh, February. Yes. So and I want the BAFTAs have announced that they have two. So do you think there's going to be a parade of all the? Well, I have uh, the Independent Film Awards already announced the move that whatever the day, whatever day the Oscars is, they will be the day before. So Independent Spirit has already moved. Uh, your Critics' Choice has been moved as well, which Lynn is a member of the Critics' Choice Awards. Right. 
So well, everything's I moving. think every, yeah, everything's going to fall in line with Oscar. And like we often do fall in line with Oscar, which is fine. I don't know how necessary this move will be. I don't know. I think it would be the most interesting Oscar year if we're working from a pool of films that we've seen so far. Right. I think we'd be looking at Elizabeth Moss being crowned uh, Best Actress best for, for either Shirley um, or, or I would argue uh, more deservedly for Invisible Man. Uh, but or Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. Yeah, hey, I mean, don't forget those possible. girl, those girls in in uh, Never Always, sometimes rarely. Yes. Yes. Those girls. Yes, incredible. And I and mean, Julia Gilbert for the assistant. Yes, mm. if they would if they would have kept their normal standards, it would have been a very interesting year. And some people are calling them cowards for expanding just so they can get blockbuster and major uh, releases in there. So, so think about it, what it does to the release calendar too. I mean, you know, certainly COVID is is doing something to the release calendar. I think that's something we'll probably talk about. But are you pushing Oscar your Oscary movies to? February now is, yeah, is that the thing? The last rather week of December. December. Right. Oh. And but they already said they're gonna re they already said they're going to relax the it doesn't have to play seven days in New York and Los Angeles yeah. anymore. It can stream, but does that mean that it it's gonna be streaming for seven days in February or seven days in December? Or how are they because you know February used to be the dumping ground, January used to be for horror mm -hmm. films. And right. now it's going to have uh, period pieces in January. Which I'm totally fine with. I mean, like I said earlier, let's get weird with it. Mm -hmm. I'm down to watch a very terrible horror sequel and, I don't know, Killers of the Flower Moon, if that's ready or whatever, <laughs> you know. Or, or uh, Tenet. Right. I think yep. Tenet has to be seen on a big screen, but now I'm really upset about AMC not requiring masks. What is wrong with these people? Well, they're it's only going to be very, 30%. Right. So well, it's very interesting that Sorry. people have said, or the CEO of AMC, his whole thing was, I don't want to make it a political issue. Well, by saying, I don't want to make it a political issue, you have made it a political issue. Because not wearing masks, not obeying social distancing, and just requiring of your employees to do that shows where your value is. You don't really actually care about your customer. So you're saying, well, I won't make it political, but I'm gonna just free reign, go. If you don't wanna wear a mask, go in, watch Tenet, have a great time. Me personally, I'm disinterested in going to a movie theater until I feel safe. Right, right. well, I'm not gonna feel safe at an AMC. Right, right, exactly. So. I, I get all these links now. I'm used to it now, getting links and watching them. It took me uh, three, over three days to watch The Five Bloods because of my schedule. It is two hours and 34 minutes, but to yeah. me, it's the first great movie of the year. And awesome. Delroy Lindo will be nominated for every award that is available, no matter when they cut it off or when they're going to announce them. He's going to be up there. It's probably one of Spike Lee's best movies. And wow. is it better than Do the Right Thing? 
No, it's more. Much. I mean, what is? True. It's well. I mean, Dad made such a statement back when it came out, so you have to look at it in context. But he has matured as a filmmaker, and this brings the Vietnam War, the the, the black soldiers, their sacrifices. Because as we all know, rich kids got their daddies got them off like cadet bone spurs and other people, <laughs> and so it was primarily all these black soldiers that did the fighting. And this is about five friends in the first infantry and in 1971 their squad leader Stormin Norman who's played by an excellent Chadwick Boseman he's in flashback and then they're older and they go back because they want to find his remains but also they buried a treasure that they want to find and they go to Ho Chi Minh City it's a very different city than Saigon and but there's still a lot of resentment to the big Americans fighting the war there's a lot of holdover from the Vietnam War and there's a lot of psychological damage to the guys from Vietnam so Spike overstuffs this but it's epic it's very powerful it has a great cast Norm Lewis who is a Broadway dude he was at the Muni as Javert in 2013 and Les Mis, brilliant. And uh, there's Clark Peters, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. And uh, besides Delroy Lindo and then Chad. Jonathan Majors. And then Jonathan Majors. Did you see Last Black Man in San Francisco? I did not. It's so yeah. good. It is an A24 and we got it at the end and i watched it. i put it on my honorable mention i like to watch it again he is going to break out huge because he's going to be the lead in hbo's lovecraft country right so he plays delroy lindo's estranged son and really and good but spike you know is never subtle no so he goes through the whole history of oppression and and what he says at the end he has the whole vietnam wall he scans it, and that's very powerful. My cousin is on that wall, and I've been to the replicas. I've never seen it in person. Have you seen yeah, it I've in person? I've, I've been to the wall in D.C., yes. I was at in D.C. before there was one. So, But uh, it's very powerful. It's still there. I know, but I mean, I haven't been to D.C. since they built it. We went there for my daughter's last eligible year for the Easter egg roll. And we did not get to see the president because Jay-Z and Beyonce monopolized them when they got to go in, so. I mean, if you're gonna get bumped for anyone. Jay-Z and Beyonce and Blue Ivy were the ones to do it. Right. But we got to see Idina Menzel uh, sing Let It Go and she apologized to all the parents. She Why? Said, so because she said, I'm sorry you had to hear this song so many times. And then, <laughs> then she sang it. Do you know I was on that Polar Express train at Christmas time at Union Station, yeah. and now apparently it's a Christmas song. Let it go. Let it go is well, is included in the repertoire of Christmas songs, and there was a two year old girl frozen. sitting. Frozen. Two year and it, and it came yeah. out at Christmas time. Yeah. So uh, this two year old girl that was sitting across the aisle from us, she knew every word 
it was so cute to watch her sing let it go she was two and she knew every word of it yeah i was impressed so yeah so that's the thing but getting back to the spike lee it's on netflix i encourage everyone to watch it it is uh very timely yes so so watch it yeah so that that's definitely going to be in the mix at the end of the year when they're all talking about it but it is really bloody if you can't take carnage well it's a vietnam war movie right? yeah so war as hell and war never ends so and i hear that one of the best parts about it in the flashbacks they don't de-age them they just play <laughs> as they do now is they that a hit on scorsese yes it is <laughs> It's, they, uh, it's 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 understandable i get it <laughs> they, they, there's one picture though that has to be doctored though at the end it, it i'm like oh they had a doctor then but i don't know but the music is by terence blanchard it's a really good score and the cinematography is brilliant they shot it in thailand and vietnam i, li I liked thailand when we were in thailand we had a very good time <laughs> I think most people what stays in Thailand. I mean, what goes in Thailand stays in Thailand. We did go to the red light district two nights in a row. Only we only went one night for us, but on our tour was a preacher, and he said, "You guys went to the red light district last night, didn't you?" And I said, "Yes, we did." Would you Would you go again and be our escorts? And I said, "Why?" And he said, "Well, if I'm going to preach against it, I got to know what it is." <laughs> and I said, whatever you got to tell yourself, Reverend. And then we took them. We took them there. We saw them for about 10 minutes, and then we never saw them again. And we didn't stay for very long either. But I did see, I did see um, what has been parodied in a lot of stories about Thailand sex shows with ping pong balls. And with Sharpies, those are real things. And that's all I'm going to say. And how old were you, Carl, when you went to Thailand? Um, this was 2002. So I was 30 something, 30, I was 32 or 33. No, 31 or 32. So I was old enough to know better. All right. So Ian Holm died today, the great actor. What were you? What were some of your favorite portrayals that he did on screen? He died 88. today. Eighty-eight. Wow, I didn't. I didn't know that he passed. Oh, that was in your email. <laughs> well, actually, my favorite performance of him is in Ratatouille. He played. He he played uh, Skinner. He played the bad guy. He played the little guy with the glasses that was trying to. Uh, sell Gustav's name. He played the bad guy in Ratatouille. So Joshua, are you a fan of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit? Because he was in those, he was Bilbo. Yeah, and there's something, I was thinking about this earlier, there's something, he's a Shakespearean actor, right? He comes from Shakespeare. And there's something he brings, a gravitas that he brings, but couples it with menace in his Bilbo, because you know, this is the older Bilbo, this is after the ring. So right. this is, you know, innocence completely spoiled for years and years. 
And, you know, there's that moment where <laughs> Frodo has the ring and Bilbo reaches for it. And of course, this is all CGI. But right. it's wholly believable whenever his face freaks out because during the entire time, he carries with him just this anxiety and this need for this thing. And it's always present there. I think that is such a, a brilliant performance that he does there. And that's what most people are going to know him for. But he well, was working say, forever. Well, I would say most people would know him as Ash and Alien. It, and that too. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? And he does the same thing, a similar thing in Alien where he's, you know, he's an android or whatever they call it in Alien. Right. Uh, but there's a humanity there and especially you know towards the end you understand his motivation and it, it's such a fine line that i think like michael fassbender in you know prometheus and the the follow-up was able to achieve but in home in the original there's just you don't get better than that you know there's one movie and i know woody allen's completely canceled but there's this movie called another woman that stars Jenna Rollins and Mia Farrow, and he plays Jenna Rollins' ex-husband in it, and he is this just complete officious prick, and and he says this line after, you know, uh, breaking up with her or cheating on her or something. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember him and this line reading of him saying, I hope you accept my condemnation after apologizing for this affair. <laughs> and, and that's just something he was that kind of performer who could, you know, just really go out there and be a total piece of shit and also kind of, uh, you know, be a complete human about it too. And well, we he, were talking about Garden State earlier. He was in Garden State too because uh, Zach Braff wrote a part for him. Oh, he was an actor's actor. He yes. was uh, in Big Night, which is one of my very favorite underrated films. Stanley uh -huh. Tucci, Tony Shalhoub. It's about... Mini Driver, Isabella Rossellini. so good. And Ian Holm plays the food critic. And yes. uh, I got to interview Stanley Tucci when he was in town for this. And he was like, you know, once we got Ian Holm, we knew that it was going to be you know, like we're set, but uh, he was Oscar nominated for Chariots of Fire, not one of my favorite films, but he was good. And then uh, I first recognized him in Alien, like you guys right. did. I mean, that was the first time I, I knew who he was, but there's a movie, a Canadian movie called The Sweet Hereafter, and mm -hmm. it's devastating and it's yeah. so powerful and he plays the attorney in it after all these kids are killed in this horrific buck uh, bus accident and it's a very powerful movie i didn't see it the first year it came out when it got all the critic raves and probably independent awards but i saw it later and it was really powerful so i think that's a movie that if people want to seek that out I don't even know where it would be available. I'm sure it's online somewhere. That's an Adam McGoyan movie that's probably his best, or at least his most celebrated. And uh, what, I think Ellen Burstyn in that? Am I making that up? 
I Sarah, think I'm thinking of Sarah, Sarah Pauly. Pauly. That was like her big breakout. So it's, yeah, that's oh, an incredible movie. But, oh, it is because it, it has all these layers to it. And, yeah. and oh, 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 but yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I highly recommend that. And there's a, there's an online app. Well, there's a phone app and there's an online website, justwatch.com. And you can plug in a movie and it'll tell you where it's at, like where you can see it. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. just looking through his filmography, I mean, things as, you know, diverse as Big Night that you mentioned, a movie that I love, David Cronenberg's quote unquote adaptation of Burroughs' Naked Lunch. And he's oh. incredible and menacing and gross in that. And Henry V and oh, Brazil. Um, Greystoke, uh, Legend of Tarzan. Yeah, he was. A, he, yeah, he was a Napoleon in Time Bandits. Yeah, Time Bandits. It, the movie that if you had Showtime on in the eighties, it was always on. Yeah, it produced by George Harrison. Yep. Yeah. yeah, because he was friends with Eric Idle, and uh, he was also the Madness of King George. Well, I didn't know that he passed away. I just saw that. I thought it, I thought he had I thought he was already dead, but but you're thinking but, of uh, there was another Shakespearean actor that died, and I'm just blanking. But yes, um, I, I love him in Ratatouille because he plays such a good villain, and you know it's him just by him talking, and it's he's good in that. I so land, so the last couple of weeks, Joshua, we have been uh, recommending films to see about the criminal justice system and the black experience in America. And is there anything uh, you want to recommend for Juneteenth that people could see? Yeah, um, you know, I've been digging into, and it's not a big filmography, it is three strong. Um, it's a, a black playwright who was mostly active during the 70s, he didn't really deal with the criminal justice system. He dealt more in a black middle-class experience, and that's Bill Gunn. Uh, Bill Gunn directed three movies. One is Stop, one is Ganja and Hess, and another one is Personal Problems. Um, both Ganja and Hess and Personal Problems were re-released and restored recently by Kino Lorber, and they're available. I believe they're both on Canopy. I know Ganja and Hess is on uh, Amazon Prime right now, but he was a gay playwright, so just to, you know, get um, yeah, a little bit of Pride Month, a little bit of Black Lives Matter in there, but he's such, for me, such an empathetic uh, uh, director and writer who detailed his own struggles with his own Black identity through genre. Ganja and Hess is this surreal religious vampire love story. And Personal Problems is a Cassavetes-esque um, TV soap opera. And I put that in quotes because it's only two episodes, um, but it plays out like a television soap opera and was made on VHS and is just one of the most wild experiences you'll ever watch about middle-class black life um and about you know the struggle that you have whenever you're stratified and you break through that stratification but you have a disconnect from your origin 
and in ganja and hess it's a, a violent disconnect but it's also really beautiful um well told he's also an actor he was in um losing ground another seminal uh the black film made by um kathleen collins and he co-wrote um hal ashby's the landlord or i, I think maybe he wrote it himself hal ashby's uh, debut so you know he was involved in theater and he was tragically you know diamond is 50s but he left a legacy of at least a couple movies that we can see now that are incredibly complex portrayals of black life that to me you know show me different shadings from what we might be used to uh in you know things that we get frequently you know about criminal justice system which are important and vibrant and necessary movies but he made films that were a little bit different, a little bit weird, and really invigorating and exciting. And I think Ganja and Hess and Personal Problems are two masterpieces. Stop is a movie about a um, two couples who go on vacation and become sexually uh, entangled. It's not available anywhere. Um, oh. Warner Archive was going to put out an edition of it a few years ago. And it hasn't happened yet, but hopefully now that personal problems and Gaja and Hess are out there, I think uh, maybe we'll get to see his debut feature, but we at least have those two and some other performances that he did. So um, those two, I would, I would head and, and if you're an adventurous sort, seek them out now. Nice. Good. Uh, uh, HBO is showing Watchmen all weekend. I know like with our friend Max Boise who refuses to watch Watchmen because he says it is a uh, affront to the original writer, Alan Moore. But when Watchmen debuted a year and a half ago, they were the first ones to bring to light uh, the atrocities in Tulsa 99 years ago because, and no one, when that was on a mainstream show like Watchmen, people started to delve into what happened in Tulsa in 1921. And it was a 60 minutes piece last week, but HBO is showing all nine episodes of Watchmen and the very first episode deals with what happened in 1921 in Tulsa. So even if you are like someone like our dear friend, Max Boise, uh, not wanting to watch Watchmen because you don't want to not support Alan Moore, at least watch the first episode and you can learn about the Tulsa massacre of Black Wall Street. I did watch the first episode of Watchmen and it was very good and it's got a brilliant cast in it. Regina King, is great. Tim Blake she's, Nelson. Regina King is, she elevates things that she's in. Right. It's I would incredible love, yes. what she's able to do and in that show, I just can't believe it. For me, it, it um, you know, playing on Alan Moore stuff, I get it if you're, you know, a, a more evangelist or you wouldn't want to get near it because it's completely kind of disconnected from that, but using the lore to tell the story of Black life in America through genre. It's incredibly complex. Um, there are things in it where, you know, they indict you, the audience, in 
the racial uh, injustice in America, but there are also, you know, a, a beautiful portrayals of just people living their lives throughout it too. And it is incredibly structured and really beautiful to look at and such a passionate piece. I, I would say it's one of the great things about race in America and about American life in the past couple of years, really. Well, there's an old movie called Sounder, 1972, and it's Cicely Tyson and Paul Winfield, and that made such an impression on me as a preteen or, well, teenager then. Well, it was like 1972, and they were saying it was the black version of Old Yeller. I remember that's what they were saying, because isn't Sounder the dog? Mm -hmm. Okay. But the dad is wrongly imprisoned, and, and Cicely Tyson, you, you know her now as this the elder statesman of theater, but back when she was young, it's a really good movie. And also I did a lot of delving into the Freedom Riders and the civil rights struggles of the 60s, because I'm a child of the 60s, and Mississippi Nights with uh, Willem Dafoe and Gene Hackman is a fictionalized- Burning? Yeah, I said Mississippi Nights, which Mississippi is the Nights nightclub. Mississippi Nights used to be the bar downtown oh where, where Nirvana played for 30 people. But yes, Mississippi burning. That's right. And so did so did the police and Huey right, Lewis. Right. And, okay, I'm so sorry about that. Mississippi burning with Willem Dafoe and Gene Hackman. And it was one of Francis McDormand's first roles. Um, I recommend that because you just cannot believe that people were persecuted for trying to register to vote and vote. I mean, these things are 50 years old, uh -huh. 50 years old. Well, it's, it's a whole, ver the very first scene in Selma with Oprah Winfrey, this is a whole movie of that. I know it is. And then also there is a documentary on the Freedom Riders that's really good that shows uh, black people being hosed and the dogs after them. And they were trying to register people to vote all through the South. And it, it's not fiction. It's real. And uh, I was very honored to be, uh, to interview some of the people involved in the filmmaking. I think Marvin, people's son mario mario, mario i think he mario was in, peoples yes yeah i think he was involved in this but anyway those i would recommend because last week i recommended if beale street could talk which was uh barry jenkins, jenkins follow-up to moonlight uh -huh. that was on my list of the best movies of the decade i love that movie and i do too i do yeah. too and i had it on number three as my top 10 last year and so many people just wrote and i said a cinematic poetry more yes. regina king yeah, i agree yep well Her she won the oscar. she won the oscar for it and it shows how the police targeted that guy and he was sent to jail so anyway, there's a lot of movies that you should explore, and most of them are free now through various platforms for the rest of the for the rest, for the rest of, of the month. And Birth of a Nation is actually not the not the racist doc, the one from the 1917, but the one that the guy that had questionable legal troubles. 
that was at Sundance a couple of years ago and it was the toast to Sundance and then his past came out and then it was dead in the water. Uh, was that Nate Parker? Nate Parker. That's actually a pretty good movie. And he, it's just, wrote, it just disappeared. Well, he starred and directed in it. Right. And then they found out he was charged with sexual assault and that was the end of that. Yeah. All right. So Lynn, where can we find you socially currently? Socially, I'm on all the socials, including Instagram now. Thank goodness. And I, but I haven't posted anything. And I am on KTRS every Thursday night with Ray Hartman. I am still in the Webster Kirkwood Times online, even though the print has been suspended. And I am, uh, I have my own website, poplifestl.com. Joshua, where can we find you, sir? Um, I'm on every platform at Crispy Retinas on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you'll find all my writings there. I write at Cinema St. Louis. And while you're checking out QFest, follow at QFest on all platforms. And then hop over to Lens and you can see all of my writing over there. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Carl the Intern. And you can find me on the Intercom Family radio stations. This week I'm going to be on both 97.1 and KMOX all weekend. So I'm here. Bye. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for being on. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thanks.